Hey, I'm Kim Forrester and welcome to Eudaimonia, the podcast that is all about flourishing. More than just the mundane or pleasure and pain, Eudaimonia calls for us to create a good life. It's about fulfillment, inspiration, joy. So plug in, relax and get ready for the goodness as we explore the characteristics and daily practices that can help you, your loved ones and your community flourish. Welcome to the final Eudaimonia podcast for 2019. As we head into the holiday season, a time of great tradition and ceremony around the world, I found it appropriate to talk about the value of ritual. Danny Vandevelt is the founder of The Meditation Teacher in Singapore. She's a highly qualified, highly experienced meditation teacher, Usuri Reiki master, healer and spiritual mentor. It's my delight to welcome Danny at the British Club here in Singapore to chat about the power of ritualistic practice and to discuss how ritual, in its multitude of forms, can help us connect more deeply with the moments that make up our lives. Danny Vandervelt, welcome to the top of the hill here in Singapore. We've got the uh, Singapore Air Force flying over us on occasion, but it's such a delight just to be in your presence. Uh, thank you so much, Kim. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful day here in Singapore. It's warm and it's, um, it's lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. It is a pleasure. We are closing off this year's season of the Eudaimonia podcast, and I I'm really looking forward to having a delightful chat to you about the power of ritual. Me too. It's one of my favorite favorite topics human history it's really interesting human history is filled with different cultures religions and worldviews and all of them to some degree involve ritualistic practice what do you think it is that draws us as human beings to ritual well i think it's really important to understand what ritual is but i guess we're going to get into that during this chat but Certainly in my view, I don't think ritual belongs necessarily to any kind of framework or uh, spiritual path or at its very basic form, I would say that ritual is a very natural human expression of spirit. Mm. You know, ritual can take many different forms. There are some, that, you know, shared ingredients, if you like, within ritual, but I think it's a very beautiful human expression of the sacred and the mystery. If we avoid ritual, if we ignore it, suppress it, avoid it at all costs, do you feel that we're missing out on something special in our lives? Well, it's such an interesting question because I don't think we do. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think we as human beings and uh, regardless of what our sort of inner path is or our understandings are about you know, spirituality or our inner terrain. I think we all do it. You know, like I don't know one woman in my life who doesn't at springtime do a clean out of their home, change up the colours in their home. All of us to some degree mark our major events within our family life with celebration. These are rituals, mm. you know, and certainly within families too. I think there's this beautiful kind of legacy that can happen with rituals. You know, I... I celebrate my kids' birthdays in exactly the same way that my parents did with me in exactly the same way they did with them. You know, so there's story in ritual as well and there's a kind of a tribal uh, identity and a sense of belonging that our group ritual and family ritual can, um, can engender. So uh, 
I, I think we all do it. We probably don't call it a ritual though, mm. but we all do some form of meaningful action that marks life. Okay, so here's the big question. What is ritual? And the way I'll ask it is, there are many things that I do regularly. I brush yep. my teeth every day. I feed the pets twice a day. I take the rubbish out three times a yep. week. Yep. What is it that takes these habitual daily activities yep. and turns them into ritual? Okay, nice. So, so you know I write about this a lot, right? I write about bringing ritual and the sacred into the modern life. And anything can become a ritual. So what is ritual? So that's the big question, isn't it? So ritual is a way of combining intent with meaningful action, mm. with awareness, mm. and also with some form of energy. Right. Okay, and that can take lots and lots of different forms. And you know, certainly in esoteric traditions, which is probably what people associate ritual with, you know, there's shamanic ritual, for example, which has become very trendy and people are exploring it these days much more intently. There's ceremonial ritual, like the Catholic Mass is a beautiful example of a big, beautiful ceremonial ritual. There's magic ritual as well. And so there's lots and lots of different sorts of ritual. But what it really does when we engage in ritual is we're opening up what's referred to in sort of the magical realms, and I don't mean rabbit out of a hat mm. magical, I mean esoteric magic, which includes shamanism and so on, a liminal space. That's what ritual does. So it combines intent and meaning and purpose and awareness, which are functions, if you like, of our conscious mind, mm with much deeper movements of energy correspondences and meaning, which are a function of our invisible aspect, our deep mind. Ritual's very, very evocative to the subconscious mind. Uh, it's felt more than thought. Mm. And so by bringing these elements together, what we're actually doing is we're generating a, a space, if you like, that bridges the mundane and the mystery. And... That's what's so divine about it because what it does do is that um, steeps us, even momentarily, you know, or for five minutes or whatever your ritual is, into the sacred self. Mm. And with that comes, I think, a deeper connection with the patterns and the deeper meaning and the purpose within our mundane reality. And, and that's why it's so important. So all of my courses, even if it's from introduction to meditation right through to intuitive healing and the deeper esoteric stuff, all of them contain an element of ritual. So you alluded to this earlier on. Yep. Do you feel that we have to have a particular definition of that version of sacred? Do you feel that we have to ascribe to a particular spiritual practice or faith or worldview in order to get the most out of ritual? No. It's a human thing. So, like, going back to your examples before about brushing your teeth and putting out the trash and all that kind of stuff, I mean, these are all sort of mundane operational actions of a home and a modern life. However, if you bring to your daily action of taking out the trash a deep intent mm. and a correspondent uh, sense of meaning and you do that action of taking out the trash, but holding the meaning that you are removing and clearing from your space, from your life, 
the stuff that doesn't serve you anymore mm. or the clutter of your mind mm. or clutter within your relational field, that act of taking out the trash becomes a deep, impressive, generative ritual. It creates change. Wow. Ritual creates change, and we all know it. Like, you know, whether you're doing your own little light a candle, burn some incense, meditate, the act of meditation is a ritual. Mm. You come out of that altered. You know, it's so interesting using the word altered. So for a lot of my groups of students, part of the preparation of moving into one of the uh, journeys that I'll take them on is to set up a sacred space in their home, which is a dedicated space for their ritual. In other words, an altar. Now, the word altar comes from the Latin word altare, which means to alter. Oh. So when we engage in ritual, and especially repetitive ritual, which we can talk about, you are altering your state of consciousness because you're moving from the frenetic activity of the conscious mind into a much deeper zone within the self of the subconscious, the energetic they're creative. Is it necessary for us to have a particular space where we perform particular rituals? Well, I do think that there are associations that you create when you engage in regular rituals. And so having a space, a dedicated space, is useful. But so is facing east every time or burning the same oil every time or laying out the same little cloth every time. So, you know, when, when I've got people that come in for the intro to meditation courses and one of the first things I say to them is, generate a very, very simple repeated ritual every time you sit to meditate. And mm. the reason for that is because you start to create an association between the psyche and the act of meditating. And so it makes it easier. You know, every time you lay out your little cloth, maybe at your sacred space or maybe at the same chair, I'd suggest if possible to meditate the same time every day, you light your candle. Your system starts to recognize the cue to move into meditation. Mm. So smell, for example, is very evocative. So I, I've been meditating and teaching meditation and esoteric work for you know, years and years and years. I have to think how long. Yeah. Over 20 years. And I've always built the same brand of incense, the gorgeous Nag Champa, you know, Sai Baba's Nag Champa. Now, I've got such a strong association with that smell that even if I'm not meditating or not entering ritual but I get a whoosh of it out of my teaching kit, I can feel my central nervous system moving into synchronicity just with the association of the smell, even if I'm running late and bolting out the door. So ritual is useful in that regard. And certainly the repetition of. Absolutely. Which brings me to Raphael Nadal. Yes. He is as well known for his rituals as he is for his tennis. Yes. For instance, he takes a cold shower before every game. Yep. He will only ever step over the boundary line using his right foot, yeah, his interesting. right leg. Yep. Uh, when he walks out onto court, he will always place his tournament ID face up on his bag before he walks out to play. Yep. Most people would regard those as simple superstitions. Yep. But what you're saying here is there's perhaps a ritualistic essence to what he's doing. Do you think these things actually make a difference? They absolutely make a difference. So I don't know, Raphael, although I'd love to, but I, I would suggest that he's probably also done a lot of work in the background around visualising success. Mm. And so those ritualistic little things that he does are like touchstones to access the energy of the possibility 
of success. Right. It just opens his energetic field. And we know that when we've got a beautiful expanded field, we can generate a greater sense of flow. And he's learned that these little touchstones that create an association that opens up his, I would say, expanded mind. You know, So we have this idea that the mind is just a function of the brain, but the expanded mind mm. is the wholesale engagement of the entire system body, mind, energy, mental plane, emotional plane and broader spiritual aspects that connect into patterns and possibilities beyond the boundary of our mundane awareness. We're all designed the same way and ritual is one way that we can open up the field. Which is really interesting. You're talking about ritual being used as a way for us to expand the possibilities yes. within our own mind and with yes. our own reality. Because in his book, Daily Rituals, How Artists Work, Mason Curry contends that ritual plays an important role or has played an important role in the creation of any artistic masterpiece. Yeah, beautiful. That is, that is out there today. Yeah. Have you personally found a link between ritual and creativity? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's worth sort of thinking about, well, what is creativity? I mean, you're a creative person, you write heaps of stuff and you, you know, you're creating these gorgeous podcasts and stuff. And I'm also very creative. So I write all my course content. I write my meditations, articles and stuff. So that's my go-to form of creative expression is through words. But I think if you talk to any person who's in a creative line, whether they're a painter or an artist or, you know, whatever, or a writer, and you'd look at the reading around creativity, the process of creativity is almost like this sort of ascending ripening mm. movement of intelligence and energy that comes up into the critical mind. So you can't think your way through, well, yeah, I, I suppose you can with some force and discipline and that sort of thing, but the playful sensory movement within the creative expression is what I think yields the juice. And then we use the critical mind then to hone it, to edit it, to make it snappy, to mm. make it digestible from other people. I mean, every creative I know and who I've read about talks about the creative process as a matter of allowance. Absolutely. Getting out of one's own way. Totally. And a creating enough of an expanded state of energy and feeling within the body to allow your unique voice or your unique expression to rise and therefore catch it and then hone it and turn it into something outside of yourself. So it is about uh, expanding the field. Absolutely. Which is what you've just spoken about. In terms yeah, and ritual is ritual. Yeah. one way to do that. So when it comes to ritual, what yes. is most important, the action or the intent? If we are scrolling through our Instagram feed yes, with I love a meaningful example. intent, yeah, yeah. is that truly a ritualistic practice? Are we expanding beyond our critical mind when we're doing so? Uh, yeah, okay. So I would argue that I think it's interesting that you did the Instagram scrolling example because a really key element of ritual is present awareness. And we all know the rabbit holes of social media. Like you, you, you can just mindlessly be scrolling through it and then wake yourself up and go, what the hell am I doing? I could be doing something way more meaningful and awesome. Not disparaging social media. But, um, you know, I love that too. But I can't imagine that scrolling through Instagram could be turned into a meaningful ritual. Mm. And the reason for that is because 
there needs to be beauty in the architecting of a ritual for it to really do the things that we're talking about. So the preparation, choosing the time of day, I mentioned earlier correspondences. So, and, and this is where, you know, esoteric practice and high spiritual ceremonial group rituals, that's what they excel at, you know. So there's meaningful objects that have corresponding meaning to the purpose and the intent of the ritual, and they're laid out in a beautiful way on the altar or in a ritualistic space. There's herbs and scents and words that are said, certain decree or invocations or prayer or whatever this framework is that you're following. And all of these are essential and your present awareness, like putting all of your energy and your real love, really, in a dedicated act of beauty and meaning. And that's what opens the liminal space where you're moving in between mundane reality and the fields of information and energy that holds the mundane reality in place. I mean, that's really what you're doing and you're dropping your pebble into those fields and creating change, creating ripples. So the action is important. The action is important, thought through action, although I do know a lot of people that love ritualistic magic and they get really bound up in, have I got the right colour candle? You know, have I set it out the right way? And they're so sort of into the action that they're, they're bound up in their conscious mind right. and, and they're not engaging the rest of themselves in it. And so it, they don't really yield results. I also want to present to you yes. the situation that I think occurs with millions of people around the world yes. where they engage in ritual because it is what they have been taught to engage in. Yes. And they will go through the actions. They will say the words yes. or they will light the candle yeah. because that is what their family or their society has done yes. for millennia. And yet to them personally there is no meaning. Yes. Do you feel in that case that it's important to sort of find meaning in that ritual or perhaps find another ritual that has meaning? Well, I think if you're just kind of going through the motions, you're not engaging in ritual. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd say you're either engaging in actions that keep the family happy, yeah. you know. I do think there is something in that, though. Like, I, I do think, let's just say, for example, you've grown up in a Catholic household and going to Sunday Mass is really important and you grew up with that. There is a sort of childhood association with that. So, you know, I know a lot of people who perhaps for varying reasons have moved away from the Catholic Church Yet, they will still say they love going to Mass Mm. because the hymns are familiar, the prayers are familiar, there's a sense of group movement in there, even though it may over the years not hold the meaning that it did for them. I do think as well there is a a lot of beauty in family tribal ritual, like Mm. we were saying before about the celebration of the family or the way the Christmas meal's done and it's done the same way every year and at least that's one thing you can peg on. Mm -hmm. It it gives a sense of belonging, it gives a sense of identity and you you may not be into the meaning of Christmas but that meal and having the family together, even if it all goes pear shapes and ends up (laughs) in fights or whatever, hopefully not, that's important. Mm. So there's an importance in legacy and tribal meaning and the carrying on of that. However, if you're, for example, entering a ritual like, for example, a shamanic ritual, which is a, which is a gorgeous framework to use, one that I teach, it's one that I love in my life, to create a shift within yourself so that you can either, I don't know, let something go or mm-hmm. forgive something or try and seek some revelation from deeper aspects of yourself around an issue that you're dealing with in your life. 
if you play the drumming track or play your drum because you know you have to light your candles because you know you have to, it's superstition. Mm, right. That's not ritual because it only, you know, one-fifth of you is engaging in it, the physical. So you engage in ritual I do. a lot. Yes, every day. In your view, Danny, is it more meaningful when we partake in ritual with others or is it powerful by ourselves? I think they both have their place. I mean, we, we do know that our neurons fire very differently and we have a very different chemical response within the physiology when we engage in anything in a collective and we're collective creatures. Mm. You know, so, you know, we've, we've all had that experience of like being at an awesome music festival mm. and the sound and the celebration and it raises you and you vibrate, you can you feel can it in feel every it. cell yeah. and yeah. it's just divine, you know. And there is uh, certainly, you know, with my groups of meditators, one of the most common things I hear a couple of weeks into the meditation journey for students where they're just trying to establish a regular practice and they'll come back into the class the next week and go, it was so much easier in the group. Mm. I didn't do anything differently, but it was easier in the group. And we know that that's the thing. When we come together with shared intent and with mutual respect of each other, um, we generate an energy field that can act as a bit of a trampoline, if you like, mm. for our own practice and so on, which is really beautiful. And certainly a lot of spiritual frameworks are very prescriptive about numbers of people and you know the importance of the group and mm. levels of roles and so on. I'd add just on the exploring the group ritual that there also is something very, very powerful about having your ritual witnessed. You know, if you're making a decree of some sort or you're putting out an intent mm. into the causal fields and you're really claiming that as something that's important to you and something that you want to manifest in your life, having that witnessed is hugely powerful. So, you know, I'll often prescribe to some of my private clients that uh, I do spiritual coaching with if they're really letting go of some sort of sticky pattern to do a fire ritual. And, uh, you know, there's the element of fire, which is very powerful, and, and there's something beautiful and very sort of final around casting <laughs> something to the flames. But I'll often say to them, get a really close friend who's cool with a little bit of juju mm. to witness this. They don't have to participate. They don't, you don't have to explain to them or unpack the whole thing afterwards. You know, have them stand as your witness, have it watched, at the end of the ritual, thank them for being there for you and then go and open a bottle of wine. Surely it matters the types of people that you're surrounding yourselves absolutely, with. Absolutely, yes. Not so, just having people. Uh, no, absolutely. So you can't be self-conscious. And, you know, the ritual has uh, a certain amount of flow to it. Mm. Know, and that's what you're doing. You're accessing uh, energy streams and flow and inspiration and beauty. And so you can't feel self-conscious. You know. But having said all of that about group ritual, there's something very, very sublime as well about personal, private ritual. And, you know, I'm a dawn junkie. And for me, that is a very, very sacred time, you know, where the day's just beginning, the activity hasn't rushed into my consciousness yet. Mm -hmm. I can participate in the sun running the first sunbeams over the canopy. I can participate in that first release and sigh of oxygen from the botanical realm and I can lean into the potential of the day yeah. and I know that within all of the you know the myriad of possibilities of the day that somewhere in there is a beautiful high path for me and and I claim it and I connect with it and 
the days that I do that, I rarely don't, but the days that I do that play out beautifully. Starting to heat up here at the top of the it British Club. Sure People is. are starting and to come and, and join I, us. I think lunch hour is starting too. So. <laughs> Danny. Yes. In the 20 years that you have been practicing esoteric ritual, have your personal rituals evolved over that time or have they sort of remained unchanged? Yes, that's interesting. So I've been teaching it for 20 years, but I would say ever since I was a little girl, you know, mm. I've brought a feather home from the beach, put it on a little space, has had a candle there. Because as we talked about, this is a natural expression of the human mm-hmm. spirit, you know. But absolutely, my rituals change and morph with a deeper understanding of the combination that creates rituals, correspondent meaning, what we talked about, intent, present awareness and energy, bringing energy into it, you know, so either by breath work or by elemental energy like fire or sacred smoke or whatever it is, sound, whatever it is that you use, those basic ingredients can be expressed in innumerable ways, Mm. you know. So I do like exploring old, traditional, well-laid ritualistic tracks because I think there's a technology in them. So... You know, I love Kabbalist ritual, for example. I love shamanic ritual, for example. And so what I tend to do is find a good teacher, learn the traditional ritualistic steps until I've mastered it and then go off piste. Right. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and freestyle a little bit, you know, because that's that really is the point of it. The point of it is your unique expression of spirit, your unique connection with the mystery of life, your unique ability to move through this liminal space between the mundane and the mysterious and plant your seeds, Mm. you know, plant your intent, generate change. But uh, I would say as I've matured in my spiritual practice, as I've taught it and I've observed it more, my ritual tends to be more and more kind of wild. <laughs> yes, you have gone wilding lately. Uh, yeah, I do. I, you know, it's just so resonant and beautiful to connect in with wild fields. So I more and more have taken my ritual out of my temple, whether that be my home altar or the church or other space dimensions, and I just take it into the jungle. Or, you know, when I'm in Australia and previously, I'd, I'd take it to the beach and, uh, you know, these elemental fields are highly resonant and they really serve you. It's, it's a bit like communal ritual with the elements rather than with other people. So it's one thing to have your rituals evolve over time, but there are some people, Danny, who simply find it difficult to do the same thing over and over again. Yep. They get bored, they get disheartened or disillusioned or whatever. What is your advice to those people? Well, my first advice would be to listen to this podcast (laughs) and expand your understanding of what it is that you're doing with ritual Mm. because it is a seamless integration. I mean, if you want to get really sort of deep and groovy with it, life is a ritual. Mm. We are here as fields of consciousness that have chosen to, you know, incarnate in this world if you want to get really deep. This body is a symbol Mm. of who – it's a correspondence of who we are And living life is, I guess, the ultimate ritual of the soul, you know. So I don't see it as having to make time for ritual. I see it as absolutely part of my natural expression. 
And I'd suggest to anyone who goes, oh, I don't have time to do it, I really want to do it, but I don't have time, is, is to deepen your understanding of what ritual is. And how has ritual allowed you to flourish in life? The Udemono podcast is all about flourishing. Yes. Since you, well, you said you've been engaging since you were, yeah. you know, a toddler. Attacker. Yeah. <laughs> but how do you see ritual playing a part in terms of you being able to thrive in life? Oh, wow. Well, in a number of ways. So ritual brings me back into presence. Mm. It mm. Do, that's one of the beautiful effects of it. So there's kind of this sort of inverse relationship. Ritual brings you into present awareness, and present awareness is required in ritual. Yeah. But the beauty and the act and the actions and the decree, and however you weave your ritual together, brings you into presence. And, of course, we all know from meditation and mindfulness just the massive benefits that that yields, both physiologically and emotionally and mentally mm. and so on. So present awareness is one. Secondly, ritual really plugs me into my expanded field of awareness. And it's within that expanded field of awareness that intuitive prompting and the dialogue of intuitive wisdom comes through. Mm. So you feel intuition. And so by regularly keeping a beautiful ritualistic channel open in that liminal space that links the invisible with the visible, the wave with the particle, you know, the mystery with the mundane, we're better able to pick up information that exists beyond our mundane senses. So it plugs me into my intuitive field. Mm. And I guess it's sort of a really fundamental level. It's beautiful. So it brings a beautiful spiritual creative expression into my life which mm. washes over the day-to-day and makes it meaningful. So if life is getting a bit funky yep. and you're feeling pretty human, yep. are there particular rituals that you dive into in those moments? Uh, yeah, I do. So water ritual is beautiful for getting rid of that funk feeling. Mm. So if I've got a really sort of contracted emotional situation going on, for example, and it's difficult for me to ease it off and I, and I have lots of different ways to do that to breath work and, and so on uh, and meditation normally does it if it's really intense I, I run every morning anyway and I run in wild places and that's got a beautiful grounding effect but I will absolutely do a water ritual which can be coming back to your earlier point at the beginning of this chat my shower mm. I take some essential oils into the shower, I light a candle, I establish my intent, Mm. I step into that shower fully engaged in a sensory way Mm. and I dedicate that shower in a ritualistic, very simple way to washing away the funk. (laughs) Yeah. And when you combine the energy of it, the intent of it, the meaning of it, a correspondent oil which is traditionally used for cleansing – you walk out of that shower free. Mm. So my final question, and it's one that I ask every guest on the Eudaimonia podcast, yes. can you recommend what I call a morning reminder? And in your case, I believe what we're looking for is a simple daily practice yes. that can help my listeners tap into the power of ritual. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. I mean, there's so many examples. But, uh, but I'll, share, I'll share my one, which we touched on before, which is to start each day with a very, very simple ritual. So I will, every single day, I, as soon as I get up, I get up quite early. I always have because I do my practice then before I go out and start seeing 
students and clients, but I will face east. Mm. I will greet the rising light. Mm. I happen to live next door to the Indonesian embassy, so my soundtrack is normally the call to prayer, which I totally love. Adorable. So and uh, so that's very evocative for me. And I have a little sweet little crystal dedicated glass with some water. And I greet the dawn and I greet the promise and the highest potential in the day, sometimes with decree, sometimes just with the feeling, um, enormous gratitude to be diving into another day of mystery and awesomeness. And I will uh, take a sip of the water as a ritualistic, symbolic act of bringing that possibility into my system. Mm. And then I return the rest of the water to the earth. Danny, that's just beautiful. Super simple. Yeah. High meaning, very, very resonant, connection with the elements, mm. connection with light, and, uh, and, and really effective. And if people want to find out more about you, yes. about ritual, about your offerings, where can they find you? Well, at the moment, they can find me at themeditationteacher.net. They can email me at danny at themeditation.net. That's all about to change next year, but I'll be rooting traffic through to my new platform next year. So, yes, get in touch. And I've got lots of blogs and articles on my website all around this stuff. So, get in touch. I would love to help you. You can tell that I'm very excited. I love ritual and I'm so stoked that's my topic that I got to talk to you about. (laughs) Danny, it's just been a delight to have you here. We share our space with those enjoying their lunchtime ritual and the children downstairs enjoying some swimming pool ritual. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, thanks so much, Kim, you're gorgeous. And it's always fun talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. As Elizabeth Gilbert wrote in her book, Eat, Pray, Love, this is what rituals are for. We do spiritual ceremonies as human beings in order to create a safe resting place for our most complicated feelings of joy or trauma, so that we don't have to haul those feelings around with us forever, weighing us down. You've been listening to the Eudaimonia podcast. If you'd like to learn more about how to live a truly flourishing life, please subscribe and check out eudaimoniapod.com for more inspiring episodes. I'm Kim Forrester. Until next time, be well, be kind to yourself, and enhance the moments of your life through simple and meaningful ritual. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.